you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to turn over to Luke chapter 2. Surprise, surprise. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Now, if you don't have, you may have traditions at home and uh, for Christmas, and it may be your special eggnog. I don't know, but uh, one of the things that was part of our growing up is that we, and we're not going to, I had it the whole thing that we normally read, but I've shortened it because I realized I might go too long today. So we're going to look at seven verses. Uh, we're going to look at some more. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And every year at Christmas, the first thing we did at mom and dad's and still do, the grandkids now do the reading, is we read the Christmas story. Yeah. And dad wants to sing a whole lot, and the kids are wanting to get into the presents, but there's a, there is a, there's a process of putting God first. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's just something you, that's what we do. And so these are the, some of the same verses, and uh, the, wor- the biggest problem we can have is sometimes we read the Word of God and it's just words. But this is the greatest story ever told. Amen. This is the most the, the greatest fairy tale ever written, never come close to what the truth of this right here is. This is the most amazing thing that ever happened in the history of mankind. Amen. Greatest thing. And so many people, billions of people miss it. Yes. And I pray this year that God, with His mighty power, causes people to see what He's done for us. Let's stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, where it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one unto his own city. Verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, and in parentheses, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as a spouse, wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was... No room for them in the end. God's greatest gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that, God, you did the impossible. Lord, that day, Lord, 2,000 years ago when you, Lord, your son stepped from eternity, Lord, and became a babe so that he could live amongst us and be one of us, almighty God, and be sinless And that God, the ultimate Lord, designed for His coming was to give His life as a sacrifice for us because of how much You loved us. God, we thank You for the truth of this Word. And we thank You that, God, it's still alive within our hearts and lives today. God, if there be one in our midst today, if there be even one that's watching this morning, that they haven't received this gift, God, that You'd get a hold of their hearts right now and not let them go, that today they would receive the greatest gift you've ever given and we believe you and we trust you and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen hallelujah amen hallelujah God's greatest gift 
God's greatest gift. And so many times, you know, when you hear about these things since you're a child and in kindergarten or your child in your Sunday school class and sometimes we read things and we, we get so used to things that they can become common to us and we, we don't really contemplate how incredible it is. But if you could just wrap your mind around what God did in this passage of Scripture. Now this was written, this book Luke and the book of Acts was written by Luke. And, and exactly, Dr. Luke. And so he was a man that had a different perspective. These other four Gospels, two of the Gospels records the birth of Jesus. Matthew does, but he focuses mainly on uh, Joseph and the angel. But in Luke, there's a lot more detail because he's a doctor. He's amazed by this because he understands how impossible what's going on has happened here. But he's got to witness the effects and what God has done. He's got to even talk to Mary. And he's gotten all this information. And he writes this book to give the proof of what he's looked into. And so he had a lot of credibility. And so we see that he gives a lot of, of, of proof and prophecies. In fact, talking about prophecies. We know that in the Old Testament there was at least 351 prophecies of exactly how God told the world that He was going to send a Messiah. And He gave 350, at least 351 exact little details of what was going to be fulfilled when that Messiah came. So the world knew that, they were, that there was a Messiah coming and here was how it was. But most of the world wasn't looking for it. That's the way we are today. There's a lot going on and we can get our mind on everything else and miss what God's trying to do even in the, in the midst of what we're going through. We know God's doing something and God's moving. And so here we see 351 prophecies were described. It's been a 400 year period and God's not even... It's like there's been no prophet. There's been no revelation of God. And so it looks like God's turned His back. But we're going to see today God never has turned His back on. God's timing is perfect not only in this story but in your life too. God's timing is always perfect. It doesn't always sync up with what our desires are but God's timing is always perfect. We see if you look at that chapter before there was the story of Zacharias who was serving in the temple... And six months before this announcement that she was expecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel Gabriel came to a, a man worshiping and serving as a priest in the temple for a period. They had a rotation, and his, it was his period of time that he would go and stay in the temple and worship, and, and, and he had a job to do. But while he was in there, all of a sudden Gabriel appeared, appeared on the side of the altar, scared him to death, and, and he said to him, fear not, tells him to fear not. He was pretty scared, and I guess we would be too. But he said something strange. He said, your prayer has been answered. Now, when you read that, you think, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we can see that God fulfills and God answers because it says, your prayers have been heard, your prayer has been answered. And he tells him that his wife is going to have a baby, and it's going to be John the Baptist. He tells him what it's going to be called. He starts questioning the angel. Why? Because he said, now... What kind of proof are you, I'm paraphrased, what kind of proof are you going to give me on this because I'm old? Am I, have you seen my wife, Elizabeth, is well, he didn't say it that exactly that way, but he says, she's well stricken in years right now. Do you know who you're talking about? And he didn't believe. And so Gabriel said, I'm, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God Almighty and you're questioning what I'm telling you? Well, so if he's praying, if he's answering a prayer, He's either talking about one of two things. Either he's talking about a prayer he prayed a long time ago and he's just now answering, or he's praying he's talking about this. This man stood and worshipped in the presence 
of God and he led worship and he was the one that was the forefront for the people of Israel when they come into the temple. I believe he was praying for the Messiah to come. He's praying. That's why he was surprised when he said he was going to, and you know what? God's going to move even through him that his son, who is actually a relative of Jesus, is going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so he's surprised that he can't speak now to the baby's born because he didn't believe. He didn't believe because he didn't really believe that he could have a child and his wife is well stricken, one of four people that had miraculous births in Scripture. Well, we see that what I think the angel was saying to him, what you've been praying for, that Messiah, it's getting ready to happen. I ain't for God. I'm getting ready to do it. In fact, he fulfilled out of those. I've told you this before, but I think that's just an amazing thing in my mind. To fulfill, I think, eight of those 300, for one person to fulfill eight of those 351. I couldn't even, mathematically, I don't think it's even possible to wrap your mind around all 351. But if someone, someone did, a statistician did a, a, a study of someone fulfilling eight of those, it would be the same thing as taking, the, our biggest state in the nation is Texas. Is to take the state of Texas and to cover it with two feet of silver dollars. Now, I'd like to have those, some of those silver dollars, but to cover, fill that whole state from edge to edge, two feet deep, and for someone to walk out in that state to get to the exact spot they need to be, stop, reach down inside of that two feet, and pull up one silver dollar, say, is this it? And somebody says, you're right, you got the exact. That's what it would take to fulfill. That's statistically what it takes to fulfill eight of 351. So we see that what God did was told and it was prophesied, but the world wasn't looking for it for the most part. It wasn't looking. It was unprepared. And today we're going to look at some things that God's greatest gift revealed when he sent his son. Oh, he, he told about him and he sent the greatest gift of all. But we can see some things about God and what he did. First thing we're going to look at today is that God's greatest gift reveals his love for you. You know God loves you. We, we know that scripture that so well. The first one I guarantee you may have memorized was this one. John 3, 16. The first half of that verse says, For God, and I've told you, so loved. Under, I mean, just so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This verse is telling us why His Son is appearing in these verses. Because God so loved you. He loved you so much. I can't, that's one of the things I can't wrap my mind around. That God would look at a sinful creation and look back at His Son and His desire for you and me would be so great that He would say, Son, I'm going to trade you. You're going you're to become a sacrifice so that I can get closer and love them more. How in the world is that even possible? That God, and that's why you have to take in your Bible and underline that word, so love. So loved you and I that he gave his greatest gift. Do you know that people give gifts at Christmas? And there's, there's different motivations. Sometimes you give gifts because you feel like you have to. It's your boss. You better give somebody a gift if they're your boss because you're afraid they won't give you a raise next year. You may give some people a gift because they gave you something too. Oh, man, you got to get something. You know, tell your wife, you got to go get something for so-and-so. They brought me something. I wasn't expecting it, so you give them a gift. But the greatest gifts are the one that gives, that reflects the love of the sender. You can tell by how incredible it is. You can tell how much thought and process went into it. You can tell those gifts are the ones that we cherish the most, that when someone gives us something that you know that they sacrificed just to give it to you. 
They went out of their way to do something special for you. And it means more than any. It doesn't matter how expensive it is. But you know they did. A, they went out of their way for you. That's the gift that really gets our attention. I was looking through history. Some of the great gifts given. Okay. And, and, and there's, there was three or four that caught my attention. 1972. You got to remember. I was six years old when this happened. 1972. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Her husband at that her husband at that time uh, was Richard Burton. Okay, uh, and and uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you she, he gave her a diamond that was 69 carats large. Back in '72, it was worth well over a million dollars. I can't imagine what it'd be worth now. And he wanted to show her how much he loved her, so he gave her this incredible diamond. I can't do that. Can you? I can't. I can't do it. Uh, I also seen, man, what an incredible gift this was. It, and when I seen a picture of this gift, I was like, there's no way it cost this much. There was a famous Indian businessman. His name was Anil Ambani. Never heard of him before. But he gave his wife a yacht that cost $84 million. And I looked at it, and I thought it doesn't look like it cost $84,000 to me, but it cost eighty. Four million. Wow. He was trying to get a point across, wasn't he? That wasn't the biggest one I could find either. Hey, let me tell you this one. I seen this one. The president of Saudi Arabia gave, in 2014, gave uh, uh, Obama and his family gifts, gold, and diamonds and jewels worth $1.3 million. Showed a picture of him wearing a big old gold chain with a big thing on it. Man, that's, that was pretty impressive. The biggest gift I could find was by Roman Abr uh, Abramovich. And in fact, it says this was his ex-wife. So I don't know what he would have gave his current wife. He gave her, he was the owner of the Chelsea Football Club, one of the richest men in the world. And he, I seen a picture of this, and I should have put it up so you could see it. He gave his wife an expensive bronze sculpture that was skinny and tall and stretched out. It was the craziest looking thing I've ever seen. And this bronze sculpture he gave his wife was worth $14 billion. $14 billion. Has anybody got a budget for their Christmas budget like that? Everybody goes over a lot of times. If you don't, you're in great shape. You're smart. You do a better job than most people. But this is over the top. I don't even want to compete with any of these. But there was one gift that was given that money can't ever buy. The greatest gift that was ever given was given by the God of the universe. That he looked at you and me and he seen our need and our, our depravity and the sin nature in our lives. And knew that the only way that he could save us was by sending his only son to become like you and me. To become innocent and become uh, 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 humbled. And to be like you and me so that he could not just come to live but to die. What an amazing gift that we don't deserve. That's the way God does everything. God doesn't ever give a gift. God didn't do this because we did something for him. God didn't do this because he felt like he had to. God did it because of that word I mentioned ago. He so loved. His love is incredible. It's inc it is an amazing thing. When we give gifts, we want, it, 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 we want it to be something that reflects the way we feel. There's been times, man, I'm telling you what, don't you love, don't you really feel that it's really the case that you, giving the gift can be more exciting than getting a gift? I mean, don't you, have you ever given a gift? I know there's been times that I felt like I, 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 I batted a hundred with my wife. I knew, I'd been listening. I knew what she, I knew some things that she wanted and wasn't expecting. 
and I got those early, and I'd have them sent to work, or I'd have them somewhere where she couldn't find them or anything. And I'd sit there, and every once in a while, I'd just look at them, and I'm, I'd get giddy. I'd be like, hee, I can't wait. I just can't wait. It's going to be so excited, and I, I just, oh, I get excited. Why? Because you just love doing good things for somebody you care for. And how much I was thinking when I got looking, God waited 4,000 years. He already knew. What he was going to do. 4,000 years. He was waiting with expectation. He was waiting with joy in his heart. Because he knew this very moment was coming. When he was going to give that great gift. That he would planned from the creation of the world. That he was going to pour out his, own, his greatest gift for you and I. Hallelujah. Romans 8.32 tells us. He spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things. He gives. And He's still giving today through what He gave through His Son. 2 Corinthians 9.15 talks about that gift when it says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Words can't even describe what He did for you and me. We were hopeless, helpless. In fact, you and I were outcasts with no hope. And God sent His Son not only to save the lost of the sheep of Israel, but to save you and I. What an indescribable, unspeakable gift. Not only does God's greatest gift reveal His love. You know what else it does? God's greatest gift reveals His authority. Let me explain. The beginning of that story in verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. This emperor, this, this Caesar Augustus was a man. He was the uh, great nephew of, of, uh, Caesar, of uh, Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar had three sons and they were weak. And this great nephew rose to power and defeated them all. And he took the throne. And he, he defeated uh, Cleopatra. He, he defeated the greatest armies of the earth easily. And he uh, took the throne and he didn't want to take the normal name. And in fact, the Senate agreed to call him, Caesar was, was basically means emperor. Augustus, this wasn't his name. His name was Octavian. His name was, he was given the Caesar, but he wanted a special name. He didn't want to be called what other had been called before. And so the Senate voted to give him the name Augustus, which means holy. Or revered, reverend, revered. So they gave him a name that up to that point they had reserved for their gods. And so he accepted that. And so he pulled himself off. And in fact, there was a period of time to where they started pushing and started changing to where they started to revere Caesars as gods. Just like the Egyptians looked at their pharaohs as if they were gods. And in fact... At the very time that this was written by the, uh, Luke, that the, some of the Greek cities in Asia Minor declared September 23rd, which was Augustus' birthday, as the first day of the new year. And they declared him as Savior. And in fact, an inscription at the famous birthplace of Herodotus even called him the Savior of the whole world. At the very moment that Jesus Christ steps on the throne, there is such a contrast going on that you see that man is making himself God 
at the exact same time God's making Himself man. When God come, the Lord Jesus Christ came. And this man, even when He died, because they revered Him as a God, they, weren't, they comforted themselves and said, He really didn't die. He's a God, so He's not dead. What a contrast of what God was doing. This is the way in the culture that we live now. If we don't watch out, we'll worship men. We'll worship things instead of seeing that God is the one that's on the throne. God's the one that's got everything under control. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 tells us about the coming of this, this great plan of God. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When I was talking about that God revealed His authority, this man who declared himself God felt like he, he was, he was a powerful man. He came in and they say about him that when he came into the city of Rome that he unified it and he, they had great power and, and they defeated their enemies so easily. He came in and the city was paved with brick. He left and it was paved with marble. But we, let me tell you something, one thing about his life. He thought he was making all the decisions. We got people doing that today. They think they're making the decisions. But let me tell you something. If you look at his life and you look at the decisions even made in these first three verses, God's the one who made that decision. He is doing the ploy and the will of God right here. Why? Because he needed to get his son from in Nazareth over to Bethlehem. And the only way he could do it is he had, a, he had an emperor who thought he was something big to declare to pay taxes and you need to get to your home place. And so they went to Bethlehem to fulfill another one of those promises that Messiah was going to be born there in the city of David, which means city of bread. And so we see that he had... No power. God used him to fulfill his wisdom and to fulfill his plan. You know what else? He built these roads, all these roads that were built and so that he could move his military might wherever he could. You know what else those roads were used for? You know why the timing of God was so perfect? It's so that he could move the gospel from one town to another. It used to be hard to get there. There was obstacles in your path. But now because of this man thinking he was doing it for himself, he was opening the doorway for the gospel to travel right down the road. Ah, oh, let me tell you something. God revealed His authority in this story. Everything, His timing is perfect. We already looked at a couple of nights ago or maybe a week ago that the generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to carrying away into Babylon, 14 generations. And from the carrying away to Babylon to this birth, 14 generations. God, perfect God's got the authority. Let me, what does that do for you today? This is a wonderful thing that God has authority, but God has authority in your life today. God, it said in the beginning of that verse I read in Galatians, but when the fullness of time was come, when God is ready to do it, He comes through at the exact moment. He planned it the whole time. Thousands of years before, every detail was already worked out, and God did it. He knew what He was doing. So we see here that this beautiful, wonderful, awesome gift that God gave, the greatest gift, reveals His love. It reveals His authority. You know what else it reveals? It reveals His faithfulness. His faithfulness. Verse 4 says, And Joseph, 
also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Why is that in there? Why is it important? He went to Bethlehem because God is showing us that what he promised two men a long time ago he was going to fulfill. He, God, always fulfills his promises. You will not be able to tell me one time God said, oh, I forgot. He don't forget. He'll come through. He puts something in your heart and says, I'm going to do this. You can take that to the bank. I don't care what the world's telling you. I don't care what the signs are. I don't care what the report comes. You can count on it. He's never failed yet. God's a faithful God and he always will be. We see that he was faithful to Abraham who was his friend, who was faithful to him. And he he had no idea what God was going to do, how great and mighty. But God did. God told him he was going to bless the world through his seed. He was going to bless all nations. Genesis twenty two eighteen 18 says, And in, he's talking to him, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. God will bless you if you obey him. And yes, God fulfilled that two different ways. God fulfilled it because his people are so wise, and God blesses everything they touch, it seems like. You want to get some advice, get it from someone that's a Jew because they know how to pinch those pennies. They know how to make money. They know how to be successful, most of them. Some of them don't believe in God, and so that's their big mistake. But God has fulfilled it. But you know what else he did? How else did he bless the nations through his seed, through his son that was going to be part of the lineage of Abraham? We see that also that he was faithful to David that he would establish his throne forever. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. This is what he said. In thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. He's still fulfilling this. Because you can see, we've not seen the end of this one yet. Because that the reason it mentioned there that he came to Bethlehem, which is where David was born. That was his ancestor. He had to go where David was born because I'm in the lineage of David. And so while I'm there, we see that, that, that he's still fulfilling, that he per per perfectly planned this event in the perfect time. And it says because it was the house and lineage of David. David was promised that he would put that his seed would be on that throne. And there's coming a day pretty soon when the Lord's going to come back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and he's going to reign on the throne of David forever. Ever. And so we see here that it may look at the Jews, may look at this verse, and they may sit there and say, well, God failed that one. No, he hasn't. He's not done yet. His son's getting ready to come back, and he's going to reign forever. Oh, he came the first time not to condemn, but to save the lost. And he's going to come back to rule soon. God revealed his faithfulness to these that he promised. He revealed his faithfulness that he had fulfilled every single little minute detail he promised in the Old Testament that was going to. He fulfilled it all. And so we see that he's faithful. So he's faithful not only to them, but he's faithful to you. He's faithful that he fulfilled his will, his desire at the beginning of time was that you and I could be saved too. He didn't tell anybody, he kept it a secret. Until he was sent his son. And then all of a sudden this great mystery that scripture talks about. Is that you and I. That he loves us so much. He pulls us right into the same family tree. As he does his own children the Jews. What an amazing God. So we see here today. There's two more. The God is in his great gift. We see that he reveals his love. Doesn't he? 
He reveals His authority. He's above it all. Whatever He says will come to pass. He's got every plan and every detail in order. He reveals His faithfulness. Whatever He says, He's going to do and He's done it. And He's going to keep doing it until our last breath. We'll stand before Him. He will never fail. He will never lie to us. We can, you know what else He revealed? It's such a, it is such an incredible picture we see. We, he reveals His humility. He humbled Himself. This is the most amazing thing. This is amazing that God would come and humble himself as an innocent, vulnerable child who had to learn just like you and me, who was limited intentionally. He limited his own power. He never quit being God. He limited himself so that he would be like you and me. We see that it says in verse 6 and 7, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Hey, it was that. Wow, what a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. It was fulfilled exactly as God planned it would be. She was going to be. Now, you've got to look at the situation. Man, it was a horrible situation getting her there. Verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was... No room for them in the end. When you look at this situation, we see that first of all, this humility of God that he revealed is that he humbled himself to become a human. This You've got to look where he came from. We can't imagine because we can't see it. We can feel it sometimes. We can feel the glory of God and we can feel the presence of God and we can imagine what it's like to be in the throne room of God with angels singing holy, holy, holy and the presence of God filling the room and for someone, it, it, it's kind of like the only way to even get a small, I mean not just a minute glimpse of it, when a baby is thrust out of that warm mother's womb and, and, and it's, it's been in there protected and everything's at a distance in a home and they hear things and are warm and they feel protected and all of a sudden whoosh they're thrust out into light and they're cold and they're scared and they cry because what has happened I want to go back I want to go back and Jesus sitting on the edge of, of eternity steps out of his the realm of his father's presence and he is born just like you and I into this cold indifferent world who is going to hate him who is going to kill him and he steps out of that and he humbles himself. This, this humility, this is, this is a term called kenosis. And I've, I've brought this, this is, this is, it's because sometimes you don't want to misunderstand. He never quit being God. He was God and yet he was man. He willingly laid aside, did not use the abilities and power. Let me tell you something. When he was on that cross, all he had to do was come off. They said to him, if you're who you say you are, come off that cross. He could have come off that cross and had them hanging there and, and before they even knew that they had come off the ground. He could have called legions of angels there to take out the entire group of them. But he didn't. He willingly stayed on a cross. He willingly suffered. He willingly was born. The best example I ever heard of this, I've told you this once before, but it, it bears repeating. I heard about a, a man that was a missionary in, in some of the far out tribes in Africa. And they have kings. And these king, this one particular king, this area was in the, the very arid desert area of Africa. And so we, there was the way they got water there is they would dig wells. And these wells were not like wells like you and I, just one big hole and you drop a bucket. 
they would have to dig wells deep, and it was like big trenches. They would dig down in the earth. They would go deeper and deeper, and they'd dig stair steps to go down to another level and dig down another level. And they just keep winding down until they got way down into the earth, maybe 40, 50 feet. And the water was so scarce that they would have to take like buckets and take rags and the, the, the dew, the water, the condensation that would form on the wall, they would have to wipe down and then squeeze the rags into buckets. It sounds horrible. Can't imagine what that tastes like. But that's how they would get water. And so the whole village would spend time going down into that pit to get water. And so this, this man said that he seen that there was a, somebody came out of the pit and they was tore up this pretty good sized guy, one of the men of the tribe, had went down there to get water and on the way down he tripped and stumbled and he fell off the ledge. He fell to the bottom. He broke his leg. He couldn't get out. And so this guy was kind of heavy. So the rest of the tribe tried to get him out and they couldn't get him out. They didn't know what they was going to do. So they, get, they go get the chief. Chief is bigger than anybody. He's taller. He's broader. He's a big man. And so he comes and when he comes up to the edge of the pit he's wearing his robes. He's got on his crown. He looks down at where this man is and he realizes the futility of them trying to get him out. They can't do it. What did he do? He said to one of the men standing there, he says, would you do me a favor? He said, would you hold this? And he took off his regal robe. He handed it to him. He took off his crown said, hold that for me. And he took it from him. And he winded his own self to the bottom of that pit and got to the bottom him being a big strong man he picked up the man at the bottom he put him over his shoulder and he started climbing back out of the pit climbing higher and higher till finally he reappeared out of the top of the pit and he set him off onto the side and then what did he do he walked back to the man and he got his robe and he put it back on and he got his crown and he put it back on and that man that was watching this said I see it I see the best definition I've ever seen of what the Lord did for us. Because did that chief stop being chief when he went down in the pit and he took his robes off? No, he was still chief. He chose to lay aside his privilege so that he could go help save someone who could not save himself. And that's exactly what God did through his son for us. He intentionally, willingly laid aside the pleasure of being in the presence of his father. Some of the glory that he had to come down and be like you and me. So that when we call out on him, we have a high priest that knows what we go through. When we cry out to him, you can cry out and say, Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know what it's like to be fearful. You know what it's like to be sick. You know what it's like to worry about someone else, Lord. You know what it's like to hurt. You know what it's like to go through what I'm going through. And you come before him and know that he, oh, what amazing thing that he humbled himself to become human. He humbled himself even in his birth. He didn't come to some incredible kingdom and some palace to some king's daughter or some high priest's daughter. He came in the middle of nowhere. This Nazareth that he came to marry, this 12 to 14, very likely more leans toward 12 years old that he came to was in the middle of nowhere. Nazareth was a town that was so unimportant. It was in the middle of nowhere. And it was so unimportant in all the Old Testament you don't even see its name brought up. Wasn't even in the scripture. And so we see, and that's the New Testament. We see that the uh, we see that the Lord came to the most humble situation 
to a young girl and a, and a, a soon-to-be husband that was poor. They didn't have anything. And in fact, we, it, it, the history shows that if that the Lord hadn't come and this situation had changed, she probably would have probably not traveled more than a couple of miles from where she was born. That was the way it went. But God looked at, was it because I was trying to find, what is it about her? Why did God choose her? Was there something so special? Oh, she was, now we see some, uh, the Catholic Church, they really worship Mary, and, and the, she's something special, and that's the reason she was chosen. But that's not the case. Word of God doesn't say that. It says that it was His grace that's bestowed upon her. It was His goodness that was bestowed upon her. It was all because of what God did. That's the reason me and you, we don't get saved. God doesn't do things for us because we're worthy. He does it because He's good and He's full of love and mercy and grace. Again, we know grace is getting what we don't deserve. And God's done that so many times in our life. We see this, uh, we see this humility that where He was born. And He was born to a family that had no privilege. You know what? When they moved... From Beth, I mean, from uh, uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem. Do you know that was about the way they went would have been about eighty-five to ninety miles. Now this would have been a four to five day journey, and unless some they were poor, unless someone gave her an animal to ride, she we see the picture of her riding on the donkey. Okay, she could have very well walked that whole eighty-five or ninety miles, and she's getting ready to give birth. You know how it is even today. If, you, if you're getting in that last trimester, they don't want you to do anything. They don't want you to be traveling and taking trips or getting on a plane. or do it. You just need to sit back and take it easy. And here she's going to travel 85 or 90 miles an hour, not sure if it was winter time or whatever, that dusty, dirty road. But God knew what he was doing. His humble birth was from a place where no one knew. And the scandal that she had to go through was an amazing thing that had to happen. He came with a humble birth. And the place that he was born, oh, we see the scripture. We, we give that, gate, uh, that, uh, that innkeeper a pretty hard time when we do these plays. No room for the in the end. If you see what the situation that most of these times when they would go, for the, go to these uh, situations, it wasn't a Holiday Inn or a Ramada Inn or a or a Marriott or something like that. They would have a, uh, many times it'd be like a, they would either camp together, or if they had a house, it would be a house with several different rooms, and they even would have sometimes their livestock in, the, in one big common room in there with them. It's a pretty rough thing. But what the scripture was saying here, that whatever her circumstance was, she didn't have a room to herself. She was, and she was out where the livestock was. And in fact, many times history tells us that this very well could have been a cave. And we see that she is where, when she gets there, God didn't sit there and make it to where she had the best circumstance and all these people waiting on her. Can you imagine how fearful that would be that she is there and all of a sudden she realized these pains aren't going away and are getting closer together and birth is imminent and she's going to have her child right there in the middle of a stable with a bunch of animals around in the open to where somebody came through the door. She's going to be exposed and the only person there to help her is her husband who who has no experience, whose hands is shaking more than you can imagine. If you Can you imagine, fathers, if you had no training and no hospital to help and it was just up to you to help this young 13-year-old girl by this time to give birth and worry that something could go wrong. No doubt he's terrified. No doubt his tears are flowing down his face because of the circumstance. This is my wife. Surely I could provide better than this. 
And we see that he's sitting there. But we do put what they don't realize. And I'm sure they do realize. What the world doesn't realize is that God's being born in this humble situation that no one is even aware of except for a few that's getting ready to be revealed to. We see what a a humiliating birth, a humiliating birthplace that it took. I was thinking as I read this, I always remember, and I'm about done. I got one more point. I, was, I remembered that uh, before cell phones, and boy, if you, some of you all maybe not like cell phones, but boy, they come in handy when things are going bad, you know? Sure. They come in handy. I know Dad got a hold of me, and I didn't answer it when he got hurt. Uh, it took me three, four times to answer because I was in a funeral, and I thought he would, didn't realize I was in a funeral. But Dad laying on his roof, that cell phone was what saved him. <laughs> I need help. I'm up here. Mom's out in the yard, and... And, uh, and his son won't even answer him. That's a sad thing. So he, uh, he called me yesterday, and I, I didn't get it quick enough. And he left. I was, I was terrified. I called back, and he didn't answer. I called the house, and Mom didn't answer. I called back again because I thought, oh, my goodness, the last time I couldn't get him, it was a problem. <laughs> Cell phones are a great thing. They keep us, they help us not to worry as much. I remember I was, I was a young guy in my early 20s, maybe 21 or 2, and I uh, had a chance for a job work for Tony's Pizza. Tony, boy, I tell you what, thank God. If you, God's faithful, I can tell you right now. He kept me out of that mess. I, I thought I wanted that because they made pretty good money and the job I had at that time, I wasn't making anything. And so I had to go to Frankfurt to train with this guy. I knew all about route work because Dad had done it and I, I knew I could handle it, but, I, but I, I, I made a mistake of caring about my wife too much. My wife was expecting our first child, my son, and she was very far along. Can't remember how many months, but let's say it's seven months, maybe eight. I'm not sure. She was pretty far along. And so we, they put us in a motel room, and my wife was to wait there. I was going to work all day long, and then that night I had, to, I had no way to even tell her when to come and get me. So I was going to have to try to call the motel to get her in a room or whatever. So I would left her. And so we got on that route that day, and I was working as hard as I could trying to impress this guy. All of a sudden, storm clouds come rolling in. Rumors of tornadoes touching down around that area. You could see it, winds blowing, shaking the truck. I'm seeing dark clouds, and I'm thinking, man, where's that motel at? And that all that, where isn't it over that direction? And I was worried to death, thinking something's going to happen to my wife, and I can't help her. She can't even call me. I was terrified. I made a mistake to him to say a couple of times something about it. Boy, I'm worried about my wife. Tell him about my wife. He, he blackballed me because of that. He blacked because I worry about my wife. He told him, I think he's too worried about his wife. I don't know if he'd be a good route driver or not. He probably won't do too good. <laughs> I took it to death. Lord, you do what you was doing. You know, I, he, needed, he had better for me. He had better things for me. But let me tell you something you worry about in the situation. I know, I know Joseph was worried about that. He was worried about this situation. And so he... What a humble situation. You know what else he was humble in? He was humble in the way he died. He died the death of a cross. It was a curse to be killed that way. And so he humbled himself. Scripture says even the death of the cross. Oh, that God showed his love when he sent his son in the fact of his humility. And finally, God's greatest gift reveals his plan. This plan that before the foundation of the world, he planned perfectly with the will of his son saying, yes, I'll do it. He perfectly planned what he was. We, we started John three let Let's look at the other half of that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That shows the, 
the reason that he gave. And, and now we're going to look at what was the purpose that he gave. What, what was he doing? What, what was his plan by giving his own son? The second half of that verse says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When God looks at you and me, and he was given his son to come and to give everything for you and me, this was what he had in his mind. This was what the joy that filled his heart. Because all of a sudden, he looked at a lost humanity that could not save themselves. Hopeless. No way they could do anything. We were, we were done. We were destined for death. And he'd seen that by sending his son, the plan was is that he would be able to give us eternal life. Not just covering over sin for a season. And then have to come back and get another lamb and do it all over again. Not having that sin nature changed in any way. Still the same person when you came in and when you walked out. But that he was going to send his son so that he could wash us completely away with our sin. And we would have a brand new nature. You see the very thing that was happening inside of Mary that God was living within her. Now we can experience the greatness of that. That God's spirit lives within us. And He transforms us and now we're changed. That was the plan of God's eternal gift that He gave us. Romans 6.23 tells us another reason why He came. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's where we were heading. And if we don't receive it, that's what we get. You've got, you've got one of two things today. You're going to receive death or life. And the only way we receive it is that God's seen the penalty for sin. It's death every time. There's no faking it out. There's no getting around it. We're going to receive death before we get saved. Those that we're praying, we pray with such intensity because we know what the outcome is going to be. It's spiritual death. Not only physical, but spiritual death separated from God. We don't want that. So we call out on God. God, you've got to turn their hearts. You've got to do a work. Thank God He's done a work in our hearts and lives. And so we see that the wages of sin of death, but this beautiful word, but, that means there's hope. Hope is in that word. And it says, but the gift, God's gift of God. What is it? Eternal life. Eternal life. Not death. Eternal life. Hallelujah. How? Through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That was His plan. Not death. But life, Ephesians 2 verse 8 also tells us about that. It says, for by grace are ye saved through the doorway of faith. And that not of yourselves. Well, what is it? It's the gift of God. What well, God's offering a gift today. And for us that have received it, we can say, amen. It's the greatest gift we've ever received. I remember the night I, I'd given my heart and life to the Lord when I was seven years of age. But there came a time later in my life that I started listening to the call of the world. And slowly but surely, my heart got farther and farther away from the things of God. And then all of a sudden, I found myself totally lost. Indifferent. Living on my own. Away from my parents. Doing whatever I wanted to do. But thank God... Thank God, hallelujah, that the gift of God reached out to me. And he pulled me in. And I remember the night when I got saved when I was 21 years old. And I got saved. 
And God washed away all those things. He didn't cover it over with bulls and goats' blood. And no, I'm just going to cover it over so I can't see it for a little long. No, he said, let me tell you something. What I've got's the what I've got's going to take care of it. He washed me clean and white with the blood of his son, who he sent as a great gift for my life. And he washed me and no longer to remember the sin. No longer. I may remember the things I did, but God washed them white as snow. He doesn't even remember them anymore. Oh, what an amazing thing that God's gift that He gives to us is done. And that's what we offer. And so that's why it's so important for us to let others know the greatest thing you'll ever look... What you're looking for is not things. What you're looking for is not an experience. What you're looking for is not another high. What you're looking for is the God of all high. Oh, the God on high. Hallelujah. Through grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift. And still give it. It's still made available today. And this morning we can look at these things. We see that when God sent his so many other things. But when God sent his greatest gift ever to humanity. It revealed his love. It revealed the authority that he has above everything. It revealed that he's faithful for now and forevermore. It revealed his humility that he gave so much. And it revealed the plan that he's already and he's still fulfilling even today. But let me say this as we dismiss this morning. This morning at the back of this building this morning, there is a bag. And it's made available for you. It's got good things in it. It was put together for you. And you won't have a bit of problem when you walk out the back door because it's yours. The only thing would have been better if I would have known who would have, it would have illustrated this better. And I said this on the phone and I thought later I kind of lied. I shouldn't have done I said your name's on it. Well, it is. You get one. It doesn't matter which bag you get, you get one. But the only thing that would have helped me a little bit more is if I had your name and you was able to go back there and say, Ah, oh, Patricia Orr, that's mine. Wayne Orr, that's mine. And so we, we could have, but your name is inscribed. It's got one of those bags belongs to you. The only difference is it's a gift from the church. The only difference is you've got to make a decision. They could be somebody today walk out the back door and you don't take it with you. He don't take it. Listen, everybody else will get one. But if you choose not to take it, it was provided. It was lovingly given. We are excited you're going to get it. But you have to make the decision on whether to take it. There is millions of people that on this Christmas season well, here are the things in the offering of God, the good gift, the best gift, the most greatest gift that he's ever given. And it's made available for them. And many times they walked out the back door and said, I'll get it next year. I don't need that. And you'll miss the greatest thing that God ever did. And the thing that will plague minds in eternity and throughout eternity is it was made available. And I walked away. How many of the people that we're praying for, they walked away? Does it grieve your heart sometimes? The person you've been praying for, they make it in the house of God. You may even see tears flowing down their face. And you think, this is it. This is going to be it. And they come into a decision. They walk away. Oh, what an amazing, incredible loss to leave the very thing. The greatest thing. And your name is on it. We will not get to heaven and find one person that God said, I forgot to get you something. <laughs> He's made it available. It's available even today. Yes, it is.
I pray even some that's watching, that watches this, will feel the power and presence of God so real in their life, they'll know that they've turned their back. They've walked away from it so many times. Temptation will come again and say, I'll just wait a little bit longer. Maybe next week, I promise, I'll, I'll, Lord, I'll, I'll watch something else again next week. I, I promise next year. We haven't got a promise that tomorrow will even come. The only thing that's ever going to matter in eternity is one thing. Did you take the greatest gift that God has for you? And it's, this is good, but it's so much better. It's so much better. Hallelujah. Eternal life. Eternal life. It's available. Amen. Isn't God's gift the greatest gift, a wonderful gift? Hallelujah. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. Sister Priscilla will come. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we praise you right now. Because God, your gift is above anything that our minds can even understand. God, we can't even wrap our mind around, God, the gift that you gave, that you humbled yourself to, Lord, the depravity of mankind. Lord, to sin. Lord, that you took my sin that you had never experienced before in your life. You were never known what it was like to be separated from your Father and covered with darkness. And Lord, the sin that I performed. And God, the millions and billions of people on you at one time. I can't imagine what you went through on that cross. But God, I can't imagine, Lord, that it was, Lord, as heavy as that load of that sin that you bore for me and for these. God, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that, God, you would burn in our mind. God, the only thing that's going to matter throughout eternity is one thing and one thing alone. It will not be what we accomplish. It will not be how wonderful we are. It will be nothing but this. Lord, have we accepted your great gift that you've given us? Have we accepted you? You came, you make it available. And God, billions of people are heading to hell this morning because they wouldn't accept the free gift of life. It's made available. It's made available again. God, deal with hearts. Send revival to this nation. God, let us see that what we're looking for is, Lord, your grace and mercy to be poured out again. Lord, that people would run to you because of this good gift that you've given us. And God, not one person in this service would leave here today thinking they have it, hoping they have it. But Lord, when we leave, we would know we have it. And God, we walk out with both arms around your glory and your presence. God, knowing that we have eternal life. And we thank you, God. It's not because of how good we are. God, it's not based upon what we do. But it's because of just accepting you and the grace that you've given us. God, have your way today. Deal with hearts, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this house. Hallelujah. If you just keep your heads bowed for just another minute. I just want to ask you a question this morning. Hey, this is the greatest gift ever given. And some of you here this morning may be able to say, listen, don't, don't push this out of your mind. Don't say I'll wait till next week. Don't say that, oh, let me, let me just think about something else. I got to get around this for the next few minutes. Let me ask you this morning. If this morning, if you can't tell me beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you know that if the Lord comes back today, you know, we don't know for sure you are going to be ready to go. You don't know for sure that you fully accepted this gift. Would you just by raising your hand for just a moment say, pray for me because I want to know. I want this great gift that's going to resonate in my mind forever. This gift of life. I want life, not death. I want eternal life.
And I want it and I accept it this morning. And I want God to do it in my heart and life. And I accept it this morning. If God will give it to me this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand quickly and put it down. Say, pray for me, brother. Pray for me this morning that God would give me eternal life. I accept His great gift. I'm not leaving without it. Hallelujah. Oh, I just want to tarry for just another moment because I just want to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt whoever in this place doesn't have it, today it's offered again. And there will be billions that will sit in His presence one day and say, I wish I'd taken it. Today it's offered again. This season, God's presence is stronger and more powerful today in your life because of His good gift. And today you can walk away knowing. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand quickly. No one's looking but me and say, pray for me, brother. Pray for me this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Well, this morning as this altar opens, I I want for those of us that we want to say, God, I thank You for the greatest gift You've given me. I thank You, Lord, that I've accepted it. And Lord, I want to praise You. I want to make You the center of my entire life. God, I want to worship You. Lord, even in the midst of things that trouble my mind, I can stand on the Word to know that You're in charge. Everything's in Your hands. And I thank You, Lord, for what You've done in my life and what You're going to do and keep doing. I want us to make altars this morning of thanksgiving for what great gift God has given us this morning. This altar is open as Priscilla plays. And I ask you this morning, if you're wanting to give God glory for what He's done even in your life, come and stand and raise your hands and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me the greatest gift. And God, I feel you within my heart. I feel you within my soul. I thank you, mighty God, for what you've done. Hallelujah. And if anybody doesn't know Him, you can come right on down here and receive this great gift that you'll never regret. Hallelujah.